Hello guys, it's Dr. Barry, the host of the Health and Wellness Connection, guys, broadcasting live in Houston, Texas. Thank you for joining us for what I hope will be a very entertaining and informative episode for you all. So again, we are broadcasting live from Afro Vibes Television Studios, like we said before, in Houston, Texas. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in from all over the globe. I appreciate all the uh, the um, the the fans who are reaching out, as well as just those who are just kind of excited with the information we're bringing. Uh, we're just very, you know, um, excited to hear from you guys. So please continue sending us those messages, um, emails, and so forth. And of course, we'll put all that contact information uh, toward the end of the show, so that you'll be able to reach out if you do have some things you want us to talk about, topics you want us to discuss, or maybe special guests you want us to bring onto the show. So again, guys, it's going to be another, you know, awesome show. We're talking about, of course. You know, all the things that have been in the media regarding health and wellness. And, of course, we cannot go without discussing that, you know, virus that everyone's tired of hearing about, the COVID-19. Now, I do have good news this time. You know, we are moving in the right direction with some, you know, highlights here and there, of course, that are still having significant trouble. But the numbers overall are going down. And now a lot of states and countries and different parts of the globe are actually reopening. We're going to discuss that as well. So let's talk about it. We're going to hopefully, you know, have you feel a little bit brighter during these spring months because, if you know, the springtime is here and uh, we're looking toward the summer. It's about to be what we call a lit summer from what I'm hearing uh, in the streets. So be safe out there, number one. But number two, let's talk about COVID first and we'll talk about the other issues. Number one, top five countries we always talk about every week regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. And number one is, of course, the United States. USA has still, you know, cemented its position as number one COVID nation uh, with 33 million total cases. Um, again, the, the numbers, though, do look good as far as new infections as well as deaths in the United States, as uh, the new infections have only been averaging about 20,000 per day, which is, again, still significant when compared to some of these other nations. But for the United States, it's actually pretty good. So we got to continue, you know, getting, uh, you know, you know, getting excited when we have um, those good numbers, as well as focusing on ensuring that we do that, do our best to prevent, you know, these new infections from getting any higher with good measures as far as, you know, social distancing and the like. So good news there. Now, death rates are slightly elevated, in my opinion, but they're still, you know, lower than a lot of other numbers we've seen in the past. 700 deaths per day in the United States right now. Um, but, you know, Good news that throughout the United States, a lot of the municipalities are looking good as far as their overall infections, especially on the death side of things because of what we suspect is a high penetrance of the vaccine in the United States population. So hopefully those numbers continue to continue on their downward trend, and we'll continue monitoring those here in the health, on the Health and Wells Connection. Now, number two nation as far as COVID-19 is India. 25 million people total in the nation of 1.3 billion people. Um, now... They are still going through it, and that's just the facts. I mean, it, it, unfortunately, uh, fortunately, they've actually done a great, um, uh, there's been a great response, a global response, to help the Indian nation fight some of the um, inadequacies they, ha they were dealing with as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, namely overwhelmed hospital institutions. Um, they're running out of supplies, running out of materials, running out of oxygen. Uh, many people died as a result of these, and it's really caused a global outcry. So much so that even some recent crypto millionaires got into it. Now, I know I, discussed, I, told you I was going to talk about this last week, and I didn't, but I want to make sure we bring this up again. There was a very, um, um, I guess, uh, it was a loud, or I should say very, um, it was a very um, dramatic donation that was given to uh, one of the uh, members of, of the media uh, who were actually looking to raise funds for the Indian nation for their struggles with the COVID-19 pandemic. And they, were actually, they actually received a 
$1 billion donation in the form of a popular cryptocurrency known as Shiba Inu. Now, I don't want to get too nerdy out here for all you guys, but of course I'm a self-acclaimed nerd, so if I get too great, if I get too nerdy, let me know. But the reality is this, this cryptocurrency has made a lot of people a lot of money, and so there's been a movement to kind of push this cryptocurrency to the forefront, and many people believe this is also part of that deal. And that being said, it's, we're mentioning it here because this money was actually used and is being used to help raise or support some of the infrastructure down there in the Indian nation. So that's a big deal, and I think that's a good thing as far as when we see, you know, some of these, um, you know, kind of counterculture movements actually coming to the mainstream. And, you know, what better way to do it than in the form of charity? So that being said, India is definitely, you know, still seeing quite a bit of numbers on the death side of things as well. Almost 5,000 deaths per day in the Indian nation. So they're definitely having a lot of struggles dealing with the COVID-19. But hopefully the measures and the recent donations can help them kind of, t um, you know, tamper off some of these um, these issues they're dealing with regarding the COVID-19. So keep we'll keep monitoring them and we'll keep updating you as the uh, progress uh, continues. So Brazil is the number three nation with about um, 70,000 new infections per day. Um, so definitely very significant um, numbers on the Brazilian side uh, and about 2,500 deaths per day. So yes, Brazil is also one of the nations really having a lot of issues struggling managing this pandemic and uh, between the inadequate leadership as we discussed plenty of times on the show and some of the issues as far as logistics on ground getting things from one place to the next um, you know they've also had a had a tough time but the good news is that there are a lot of movements on ground in the Brazilian nation to help you know get resources to people as well as you know vaccine rollouts and the like so you know Brazil is definitely you know also a large country of 200 million people and they also have a lot of you know issues like as we stated so We'll definitely monitor them, and we're going to have a very close, in-depth uh, um, look at the Brazilian nation probably in a future episode. Now, France is number four, about 17,000 new cases per day and about 100, almost 200 deaths per day. So they are actually doing quite well as far as their overall numbers. Um, they are creeping up there on the list, so something that I'm sure the French, uh, um, the French uh, um, government officials are closely monitoring. And so we'll make sure we, um, you know, monitor those numbers as well and let you know if anything should happen, especially with the summer season approaching and the travel season going to be pushed heavily this year um, since most countries are now going to be allowing international travel. So, you know, a lot of these nations are going to be very wary as far as the numbers to make sure they don't experience significant spikes as visitors come and go. And number fifth on the list is Turkey. Now, Turkey is also a nation that has been quite in the news lately. Um, Turkey has been going back and forth, especially politically, um, especially given the recent events going on in um, Israel and Palestine. So Turkey, though, their numbers have also been rising, um, averaging about 11,000 cases per day and about 200 deaths per day. Um, so they are definitely also seeing a lot of um, issues with the COVID-19. Um, and some believe that some of the measures they've instituted, especially when it comes to vaccine rollouts, have been inadequate, leading to these increased levels they've seen lately. So you know, we're going to also monitor that because, of course, on the political spectrum, there's been a lot of back and forth, especially when it comes to the Israel-Palestine conflict, which Turkey has been involved in. And sometimes politics can blend into, you know, health and wellness and re result in a, a disaster on both ends. So you know, this is why sometimes, even though this is a health show, we end up talking about a lot of political stuff and other random things because, unfortunately, you know, health is kind of the center, you know, I think of, uh, you know, um, our existence, really. If you're unhealthy, you can't really do much. So... Unfortunately, when you look at things that can affect your health negatively, negatively, you have to, you know, make sure you, you know, focus on that and try to, you know, modify your uh, response to it so it doesn't, you know, cause you too much harm. So, 
you know, that being said, um, COVID-19 is still a thing, guys. Um, however, you know, on the political side of things, there are a lot of new mandates that are being removed and instituted, to, so much so that it's actually becoming a point of topic in most political discussions. And we're going to talk about that here um, next. All right, guys, on the political front, another story actually came across the timeline I wanted to bring to you guys, and that is another story related to our leading government medical official, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, remember last week we talked about how there was a new uh, rule that was being rolled out by the CDC that stated that if you had been fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Now, many people thought that was a bit premature. Many people stated that people would just simply lie about their vaccination so they cannot wear a mask. And there was a lot of back and forth on whether or not that was a good idea. Now, this week, Anthony Fauci is stating that they were actually misinterpreting his words. Now, he actually released a statement um, when he was um, approached by some folks at another blog known as Axios, and they actually asked him about, you know, whether or not it was wise to kind of push this idea that if you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask, especially given the fact that we're seeing so many evidence of breakthrough cases, meaning those who have been fully vaccinated yet still getting the COVID-19 infection. Well, he stated that, you know, the thing is that he felt people misinterpreted his words, that he still thinks that, again, if you are in a tight environment or if you're in a close environment, mask usage is probably still a good idea. But he did state that there are benefits to getting vaccinated, and that includes not wearing a mask or a mask not being so required because, again, people who tend to be vaccinated tend not to get infected despite the breakthrough cases which occur but are very rare. So, you know, ultimately, you know, he did state that there should be benefits to vaccination and that, you know, mask requirements should be something that, you know, people who are vaccinated shouldn't be fully, should not be subjected to. And that was kind of his stance on that. Ultimately, people are still kind of going back and forth on it. Um, some people state that, you know, if the mask is not necessary, then laws enforcing it shouldn't really be considered. However, you know, this is something, again, that's not fully, um, you know, it's not a full agreement, I should say, but, you know, the good news is that there does not appear to be any, you know, impending, you know, laws or punishments for people who are, you know, currently wearing a mask or maybe having issues on, you know, continuing wearing masks if they're vaccinated. But I think ultimately everyone should do what's comfortable, especially when it comes to your exposure. If you're, in my opinion, a high risk individual, meaning you have a condition where you're at risk for complication with COVID-19, I would probably recommend wearing a mask despite if you're vaccinated or not. Now, if you're someone who's relatively healthy and you feel that, you know, your immune system is relatively strong or you don't have anyone who you're exposed to who could be vulnerable, then maybe a mask usage could be something you could potentially consider not employing if you are vaccinated. So, again, the, the best advice, guys, talk to your medical professional. I think making sure that you're safe is the most important thing you should do. And if you, you know, discuss with your clinician, ask them kind of your health risks and what are your concerns. And I think that should definitely influence whether or not you should be moving around with or without a mask. But that being said, um, you know, the jury is still out overall, but we hope that, you know, the numbers continue to go downward. And we think that between the mask usage as well as um, the vaccination penetration, we should continue moving in this downward trend we're seeing lately. All right, guys, so here's a different story I want to kind of bring to your attention. Now, we always talk about, you know, the, um, the existence of chemicals and how they can sometimes negatively affect, um, you know, our lives. So we have to make sure we're monitoring you kind know, of what we're exposed to, what we're putting in our bodies. And that's kind of a lot of the, um, the big push as far as the whole foods movement. Now, a new study came out from the University of San Francisco, University of California in San Francisco, and they looked at 
basically they screen the blood work of um, a group of pregnant women looking for you know various chemicals in their bodies and they actually discovered 55 brand new chemicals never before discovered previously so you know obviously this is a you know something that raised a lot of concern in the sense that many times you know we see chemicals as far as random tests that are screened for it when they do these blood tests and the effects of these chemicals on the body as well as the development of the human body especially in the fetus when you're dealing with pregnant females it becomes a very concerning topic and also needs to be definitely further studied but for now there's proof that there's these new chemicals that are there and you know clearly we're going to go over some of them and we can kind of get an idea of where they're coming from so you know these chemicals were also found in the newborns by the way after the you know women actually delivered they retested the blood of the newborns and they discovered many of these same chemicals there which shows that a lot of these chemicals are passing through the placenta and affecting neonatal development. And, you know, we all know, uh, especially as clinicians, that can be very serious, especially if the effects are not known. Now, the chemicals, there were various kinds of chemicals. Among the chemicals, 40 of them were used as plasticizers. 28 of them were cosmetic-based chemicals. Then there were about 29 pharmaceuticals. 23 of them were also plasticides, so, or pesticides, I should say, and uh, just a various, you know, combination of both pesticides, plastic um, bases, some also some other chemicals that we suspect were due to some sort of carb, like a polyfluoroalkyl substance, basically carbonated compounds, maybe petroleum products, but clearly not ideal to be in the human body. So um, clearly these exposures, many scientists are predicting could be environmental. It could be, you know, again, Tupperware. It could be any kind of substance where we're potentially interacting with them and then ingesting uh, those um, items. And many people will p point to food and water as a lot of the sources as well. So, you know, it becomes very concerning when you look at this, especially when we're not really clear on the effects that these chemicals may have on the human body. And uh, so, of course, my advice, I always advise people, guys, if you're, especially if you're pregnant, but if you're just someone who's interested in avoiding chemical exposure, want to make sure you reduce you know, your exposure to, you know, preservatives, you know, unnatural foods, especially foods that are, you know, presented in such a way that, you know, it would probably require heavy, you know, like some preservatives or chemicals to keep the food fresh. And this is why I always recommend, guys, fresh fruits and vegetables are, should be the staple of anyone's diet. Now, of course, when you're eating these fresh fruits and vegetables, ensure that you're washing them thoroughly, because as we stated already in this report, pesticides were a huge component. And pesticides were actually a weapon of war back in the 60s, guys. So clearly pesticides are designed to kill. And this is why insects, which are not ideal because they also eat up food, they also are biological um, beings. So similar to us, pesticides can kill them. But because we're more, you know, we're larger uh, mammals, we can potentially take more. But it doesn't mean it's not doing any damage. Now, that being said, of course, some will argue, well, pesticides are important because of the need for you know mass food production and so forth and there's definitely some benefits to them but i think understanding the effects on the human body i think should be the focus guys and we to make sure that whatever we're using that we can try to use it to be productive be efficient on the productive side but at the same time you know we want to make sure we're not exposing ourselves to things that could harm us or harm the ability to reproduce which is always a concern when it comes to anything affecting pregnant women so again be careful with the with the chemical exposure, guys. Also, I'm a big fan also of glassware as opposed to plastics. Uh, plastics in general, I think a lot of evidence is showing that plastics can be very harmful. So you want to avoid using plastics excessively, especially, you know, water bottles or plastic containers. You want to try to 
you know, use non-plastic uh, surfaces or make sure the plastics are BPA-free, which is another, you know, popular chemical, or not popular, but very commonly chemical, commonly seen chemical in food stuff that is known to be harmful. Um, so we want to make sure, guys, that we're avoiding exposure when we can, especially if we are pregnant because we want to minimize effect on the developing child. So that's it, guys. Chemicals are definitely there, so be wary. <laughs> All right, guys, so back on the vaccine front, it appears that some states are starting to turn down some of the vaccine shipments that they are receiving. Um, the New York Times is reporting that there are hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccines that are being returned um, in, uh, very, um, in various states throughout the nation due to a drop in demand. This is from everywhere from the northeast to the south to the, uh, to the northwest. Um, um, so it's something, it's something that many of the... Uh, you know, medical professionals and the clinicians at the CDC are concerned about. Um, it's believed that the U.S. has given about 257 million doses so far of the vaccine to the American public. So, I mean, pretty amazing, actually, when you think about it, especially when uh, given the inadequacies of the Trump administration, the, uh, you know, the Biden administration really had a disadvantage coming out the gate, and they've kind of really ramped up the availability of the, the, availability of the vaccines, and, you know, for that reason, uh, we, they should be commended. Um, it's, be, it's believed about 58% of the population has been uh, vaccinated, meaning that they've received at least one dose. However, you know, 43% have been fully vaccinated. We hope those numbers will raise as we progress. Now, that being said, it appears that, you know, despite, you know, the push to get everyone vaccinated, there's still a drop in demand of new um, patients who are looking to receive the vaccine. So because of this, the Democratic um, administrations, particularly President Biden, has really started to push more for states to kind of encourage their um, citizens to get vaccinated to help, you know, get those numbers higher so we can get to our herd immunity status, which is the dream of the public health officials. However, there has been concern whether or not that is something that can be achieved given some of the high levels of infections we're seeing currently. So again, guys, try to get vaccinated. It's um, overall been proven to be relatively safe. Want to make sure that, especially if you're high risk, you have been vaccinated because, again, the risks are quite high with COVID. We are still seeing infections in the ERs. All right, guys, so I'm sure you guys are familiar with the whole concept of BMI, or what we call the body mass index. So we know that body mass index is an important concept that's usually pushed or usually used when discussing, you know, the, the health of a certain population. Now, some people have used it to try to look at individuals, but it's not really designed that way. It's not very accurate. Uh, if you do it for individual persons, it's more of a group kind of uh, assessment tool. Now, of course, you know, we talk about this concept extensively in uh, my uh, first book, Next Little Weight Loss 2.0. Check that out on Amazon if you haven't already. You want to really understand what the concept of BMI means and how we should be using it. But there has been some recent controversy because it's believed that the BMI concept, as far as we know it, is outdated. Meaning that the, um, the numbers that were used to calculate how BMI was calculated was based on the weights and heights of essentially an exclusive white population. So many of people are stating that the current values that we are using to judge all populations may not be an accurate measurement, especially when looking at the average weight or weight and health related, or sorry, when looking at health conditions that are associated with people with higher uh, weights or what we would consider higher levels of BMI. Now the current BMI threshold is what we would call the risk or the level where you will be clinically diagnosed as being obese. And that right right now is 30 kilograms per meter squared. Now, 
30 is considered the level where if your BMI is greater than 30, that would considered that you'd be considered obese. Now, when we look at populations, like let's say the city of Houston, for instance, um, if you look at the entire population of everyone, average the BMIs of every individual, and then you you know get the number that would determine if the city may be at risk or considered have a higher population of obese individuals than than not. Now, you know many people are still using this for more individualized assessments, which again is not ideal because it's not very accurate when looking at one person. That being said, the actual people behind the um, the whole standardization process for the BMI are actually looking at adjusting it and making it even more restrictive for non-white populations. And they're saying they're doing this because it is believed that non-white populations, particularly Asians as well as African-American populations or, or black or African populations, excuse me, are at higher risk of diabetes and other health complications at BMI levels lower than 30. So the new actual threshold being proposed is that um, a, a BMI of 27 should be ideal for someone who is from a South Asian or a um, you know black or African background. And a BMI of 30 will probably be better for white populations only because they have lower risk of diabetes and other health complications at those higher BMIs than you know, non-white populations do. So, you know, it's a very interesting um, kind of assessment here and something that, of course, is going to have a lot of, um, you know, kind of analysis to see whether or not this is accurate. Um, but yes, it's, it's definitely, you know, I think something that we have to definitely monitor closely as well because, you know, BMI has been something that has really been used to make a lot of big decisions when it comes to health policy and, uh, you know, it's how we're tracking the obesity levels just globally as well. So, you know, if we, these numbers are even dropped further, um, in the middle of an epidemic, that's going to actually make the numbers of obesity much higher. So it's going to be interesting, guys, to see how this plays out. But I think the overall message here is that, you know, the levels of obesity in the population um, are high and we need to do what we can to make sure we're, we're, we're addressing those. And, of course, we always talk about the tips of eating right, working out, and making sure you are, you know, doing your best to, you know, attack all the um, different issues that may be affecting, you know, bad habits that could be leading to, you know, excessive weight. So you know, work on that, guys, and we're going to continue, you know, bringing you some of these uh, these uh, new infos as we receive them to make sure you uh, can be abreast of some of the latest health news as they come. All right, guys, and the last story of the day here, um, again, another story here that looks at, again, the, the concept we just discussed, obesity and BMI, and that is airlines could be, are going to start weighing passengers prior to people getting on planes, especially for smaller air, airlines, and smaller planes due to the concerns of imbalances on the um, plane when passengers are brought in along with their luggages and so forth. Now, it's believed that the current, you know, estimates of passengers are outdated. And this is kind of what's prompting this change because, um, you know, uh, particularly when you're managing an airline, the weight of the actual cargo, this includes the passengers and the luggage and all this extra material are, and even the fuel, all have to be weighed carefully to make sure the plane is balanced so that it can operate properly. Now, usually there were standard numbers used to assess, you know, if you have a certain number of passengers, the approximate weight these passengers would be, and that would help them to calculate how much luggage they could carry, you know, how many passengers they can carry. You know, if you have a certain number of passengers and a certain number of average weight, that'll determine how many seats you put in the plane and whether or not you can, you know, have more first-class seats and so forth. So it's a very important metric that airlines have to use. Now, unfortunately, it's believed the numbers that they currently are using to 
have an average assessment of the passenger's weight is outdated. And because of the rising levels of obesity, they've now had to adjust those numbers, which is going to definitely have some effect on the airline passenger process. This could result in potentially less seats on the plane or higher pricing on the plane as a result of less seats and just a whole other cascade of effects. So this is something that, you know, obviously is going to be very interesting to see how this plays out because as something we do propose here or we talk about here a lot is travel. And, uh, you know, flying is going to be obviously, obviously something that many people will be using to get from one destination to, one destination to the next. So if you're starting to see, you know, you know, a luggage uh, weight station as well as a, patient, a human weight station, you know, don't be shocked because that could be coming to an airport near you guys. So, again, you know, that's another reason why I say, guys, start working on your health and wellness. You don't want to be in the airport and you see, you know, your weight blasted in the big... Well, obviously, you know, let's hope that won't be the case, but they're going to be more private with it. Make sure to have it not a big public thing, but, you know, you could be forced to be weighed before you're getting on a plane in the future. So, you want to make sure you, you know, have a number you're not going to be um, shocked by um, when that happens. So, uh, but hopefully that won't happen anytime soon. This is just something that's being murmured in the airline industry. But if it does happen, of course, we'll definitely let you guys know. So um, we will uh, bring you that as well as other awesome details of other health-related topics in future episodes. Well, that is the end of this show t- today, guys. Um, I'm your host, Dr. Barry. It's been a pleasure hanging with you guys for this health and wellness episode. We have a lot of great things coming, guys, a lot of great collaborations and other interviews on the schedule. So we are so excited to bring those to you. If you want to reach out to me, have any questions or concerns, you can always reach me on Instagram at DrBarryMD. You'll see the uh, spelling below me, as well as the Facebook page, www.facebook.com backslash Next Level Weight Loss. Also, we also are on um, Insta- oh, sorry, on email. You can reach us as well, DrBarryHealth at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can also reach out to us at AfroVibes. If you have any questions for AfroVibes as well, uh, info at AfroVibes.tv. So again... It's been a pleasure. I'm Dr. Barry, your host. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next week. Peace.